Hey, this is DeRay, and this is a Loudspeakers Network production. Internet, so you're tuned into the Combat Jack Show, the Combat Jack Show.com. What's up, Premier? What's going Pete? on, Combat? Man, it's in the middle of the summer. I'm loving this heat. Hot. You know, I'm loving the, the, the events that are going on. Beautiful. The picnics, and, you know, everybody's out here looking, you know, they're getting that melanin and that. Ooh. You got a little tan, you, you're pulling out the melanin. That's correct. And you premium. It's, that, that's it's Sicilian. Good. Yeah, exactly, man. Just, just don't do the uh, Rachel Dolezal on us. No, 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 no. All right, don't come back next week. I with, am with who the, I am. You are who you are, right? <laughs> look who we have in the, in, in oh, the, in the studio today. I am so honored to to have uh, Internet's, this this current guest. Uh, I've been following him on Twitter uh, for, I guess, going on a year now and has really inspired me and motivated me, as well as, uh, you know, his words uh, kind of fit in sync with the stuff that I've been telling you, you know, over the past five years about white privilege and injustice, and now it's bubbled to a surface and you know when you feel something is wrong and you're talking about it and you're tweeting about it and you're talking about it on the show and sometimes you can feel like you're the only person talking about like am I too stuck on this am I crazy am I you know have I gone off the deep end but then when you see soldiers like this rise up and and, and, and a multitude of voices you know become so strong when they're joined man it's just very powerful so without further ado I welcome to the Combat Jack Show Mr. DeRay McKesson Cheer. How you doing, sir? I'm tired. You're tired. Yes. Tired. Tired or tired of? Um. You know, one of the biggest changes uh, since the movement began is that I'm not alone very often. Right. Um. So I'm always around like tons of people. Um. And that just is tiring sometimes. But I'm like, I remain committed and all those things. But I am a little tired. Are you a personal? Like, are you like you, you know? Are you you like your personal space? Or are you someone that's a cuss? Oh, for example, I'm an only child, okay. but now I have four kids and a wife. I still like my personal space, but I, you know, I don't have the opportunity to enjoy that anymore. Is yeah, it something like that? I love being around people. Okay. One of the hardest, one of the most, one of the different things about now is that I'm just around a lot of new people all the time. Right. Which is important, right? Like that is a, I like believe that like yeah. the movement lives as, as much as it grows, right? That that is like a real thing. Um, it is just different that I'm like, I'm always in different spaces. I don't have an apartment anymore. I don't have a car. So like when I'm in New York, right? And I'm like staying at somebody else's house every single every single night that I'm here. Like those sort of things. After a while, I just, I get tired a little bit. And, um, and, and you know, I'm the type of person, I mean, I'm a creature of habit. I like my comfort. I like to be around people that are like-minded. But you're now in this position where you're around people that are not necessarily like-minded. How, how, how challenging do you find that? Yeah, I, I know that this work will always be more important than it is popular, right. right? And that is real. And that we will fight sometimes for people who don't understand the fight and who will not fight with us. Um, and that is also real. In terms of the comfort thing, I mean, it's like a, people talk about my vest all the time. And, and it is, and it is um, it's like this really irrational safety blanket for me, right? Like I just feel safe in it. Right. Um, which is why I wear it because I like literally wear the same like seven things every seven days because I live out of a suitcase. My apartment is in storage in St. Louis. Um but yeah, like I know that this work will be more important than it is popular, and that is real. Well, I want to report to the internet that the vest is real. I, I can't believe I don't know. <laughs> it's dope. I don't know what's what's more what's what's more popular, you so or the vest. How many is that? Your only blue vest, or do you have several 
blue vest? Are you Superman with several? This is only the this only, only one. Is it's that polo little, sport? It's no, no it's Patagonia. Patagonia. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, it's fraying a little bit right here. But you know, the repair shop, uh, they won't do it on this. Like, they make you leave it, and right. like I just can't do that. So, you know, it'll just fray. Now, business, it once. business wise, has anyone from Patagonia reached out to you? No, I've gone to the Patagonia store, which is how I know that they like. You know, we'll we'll do it. Right. Um, looking for a potentially like lighter, like a summer vest right. ish, mm. um, and I'm still trying to figure out like if that will if they have one. Listen, it's almost 90 degrees outside. Does, how, does that get hot, man? It's breezy. It's breezy. <laughs> okay, so it's... I couldn't wear it. Texas. I was in McKinney yes. when they you mm-hmm. know when the officers uh, beat up the girl. Yes. Um, Tajira and I didn't wear it then. It was just entirely too hot. So I had like a Twitter. I'm not wearing it. Now. I had like a Twitter shirt, like a shirt with right. like, the Twitter bird. Yes. You know, you haven't, you weren't always doing this work. You, 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 you grew up in Baltimore, correct? I did. And you worked in education. Yes, I taught, um, I taught sixth grade math here in, in New York City in East New York, Brooklyn. That was great. Worked at Home Children's Zone and then did some other things. But at the end of my career in education, um, that part of it, I was the number two in human resources, human capital for Minneapolis public schools. And before that, I was the number two in Baltimore City public schools. Can you talk about how difficult it is working in education, public school education? Yeah, you know, the achievement gap has been, has persisted for as long as any of us have been able to measure it. Um, and that is like a hard thing to do when there are all these kids who you like love and believe in and know deserve like a different world. Um, so it's hard because it is definitely a long game, right? Like as a teacher, it was like a, I could make sure my all of my kids learn sixth grade math, but I couldn't make sure that they learned seventh grade math or right. eighth grade math, right? Or ninth grade, which is why I left the classroom to figure out how we like fix systems, right? right. That like the system should work, so you should need all the supplemental stuff because, like, the, the structure should work. And that sort of is why I left education to fight in the movement space. Is that, like, the system should work. We can actually live in a world where the police don't kill people. That right. is real. And you made I, you made an important comment that I heard on the Fanbro show where you said you realized, particularly with the Mike Brown case, that, you know, kids should be able to be alive so that they can learn, you know, like, as opposed to getting shot in the streets... That's what you needed to do. You needed to come out to make sure these kids were safe so they that they could live to have an education. Yeah, you got to be alive to learn. Right. That's it. Yeah. Tamir will never be a ninth grader. No. You know? that, that's crazy. What was it, man, that, that shifted in you? As as an educator, you, 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 you hear the news about Mike Brown. You hear, you, of course, we hear everything. We've, hear, we've listened to the Oscar Grant situation. We've heard, the, of course, the, uh, um, the George Zimmerman and, and um, Trayvon. Trayvon Martin. You know, these things have just been raining upon us. What was it that was your breaking point that really made you respond and react? You know, in blackness, we always face these issues of erasure, right? And erasure manifests in two ways. One is either the story is never told or it's told by everybody but you. Right. And in this moment, we became the unerased, right? Like black people got to tell their own story about what was happening in real time. So in August, you know, Mike got killed on the 9th. On the 16th, I was on the couch. It was 1 o'clock in the morning. I saw on Twitter, like, something's going on. I was like, this is crazy. Um, waited until the morning, called one of my best friends, and I was like, I think I'm going to go to St. Louis. And I got in the car, drove nine hours, ended up in St. Louis, didn't know anybody in Missouri, put on Facebook, a friend of a friend found somewhere where I could stay. And there was this moment of, like, being out on the street and being like, you know, I got tear gas. And I was like, this is this is not the America I know, right? That this is, like, I, like, once believed in America that was not this, but I'm, like, standing in this, right? And, like, and in this moment, I commit to fight differently, that this just cannot be okay. And I think about all the kids I taught, right? Like they deserve something better than this. Um, and I said, I'll do, I'll do my part. Right. So I'm like conscious of the fact that I have had these incredible experiences. Um, and I'm still not free. Right. 
did you know that or did you have an inkling that this was going to be that that the, the Michael Brown case or the Michael Brown situation in Ferguson was going to be life changing for you? Or, or did you go down there curious to see and do your part, not knowing that this was going to be life changing? Yeah, just curious to do my part. Right. It was this thing about like, this is wrong, right? Like, I remember the first time I got tear gas and was like, I am on a street in I'm at, like, this is why. And it was totally peaceful. Yeah, I mean, I, somebody may have thrown like a water bottle. Okay. But like, that didn't, the response should not have been like, you know, 200 police officers in, you know, rounds of tear gas. Like, that's crazy. And, you know, the state's not peaceful, just to be clear, right? That, right. like, the violent people since August have been the police, and they remain, you know, they're only nine days this year that the police have not killed somebody. So it's like a Nine crazy, days. They're nine days this year in 2015 that the police have not killed someone. And across the country? Across the country. That's crazy. And there are uh, over 500, the police have killed over 500 people so far this year. So you, 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 the, the unique thing, though, is that you really documented your journey to Ferguson step by step by step, and this started garnering a lot of followers in the whole nine tell us the moment man where because i was watching it on the computer because they weren't covering it on the, the major news outlets but when they brought out all that machinery when, when they brought out all that mechanized like 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 paramilitary like the, the the i don't even know what they were called the trucks or the they looked like giant robots and they had the 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 the, the, the lasers pointed at, at at citizens that were unarmed did you see that yeah we were all there right, right. like I, I remember when when I had to hide under my steering wheel because the SWAT cars were like driving down residential streets, like with flashlights. Did, right? Like what's going on through your mind? Like, holy shit. Like this is fucking a movie. Yeah. You were like, this is not real. Like right. This is crazy. I think so often too, in the beginning, like we didn't know each other's names, right? right. We knew each other's hearts. So there were people who I like trust my life with right. that I've never seen again. Don't know anything about them, but we like hopped the three fences to get mm -hmm. to the whatever. Or like it was that moment in time that you got, got connected together. Yeah, you're like it was the beginning of a new community. Mm -hmm. But even being in that moment in time right there, did you think that you were going to make it out of there? You know, there were in the beginning, and I haven't talked about this in a long time. In the beginning, I used to, I used to um, write these messages in my drafts that were like messages to all the people I loved, so that if something happened, like there would be something. Contingency tweets are. Yeah, and I like remember I remember that feeling of being like, you know what, I'm gonna put this down, I'm gonna put it here because like, I don't know what happened. Or Netta, who I'm really close to, and um, I'll never forget the day that she like sent me all her passwords. Like she just didn't know if right. like she make it out, so she was like, here are all my passwords, and like, um, and that was hard. Those days were hard. Let me ask you, man, living with this thought that death could be around the corner at any given situation, what does that do to you? Yeah, so I gave that up a long time right. ago. I remember, okay. I remember the last time I thought I was gonna die, and right. I and it was it was too much. It was like like coming out again with that feeling was just too much. So I made the commitment that I like wouldn't. Right. right. I mean, it's like it's uh, funnily the way the vest functions is like it like helps me manage. It's a, my it's weight. a magic. Right. Okay. It's just, I'm like irrationally safe, just irrationally <laughs> safe. Um, you know, because fear just takes up too much, right. and and they like they want us to be afraid. They right. want me to be like too scared mm -hmm. with the death threats and all that stuff, and like I just can't. I the reality is that like. I'm I'm threatened as a black man in America too. Anyway, right? of course, you know. Yes. So like, anyway. I, we're all on the front lines. Right. Um, how? What's the most paralyzing you felt with regard to fear? Mm, probably like the last time that I was going to die. I was right. running. The cops had like stormed a group, and I was running, and I had my here. Hands up I mean, where in in, in, in Ferguson? Ferguson, yes. Um, and I was running with my hands up, and my um my my phone iPhone cord fell out of my pocket, and I like went to go reach for oh, it, shit. and I was like this might be it right like, this is it and i and i was like par it was like like i didn't know if i was gonna put my hand i mean it was like a crazy feeling and i was like that's too much right, right. 
Um, so now, I, like like many people um, in the protest community, especially in St. Louis, like we, like our willingness to push the system is just so different. So I can stand really close. Or when I was in the, I was a part of the group that did a sit-in at the police department in St. Louis Metro, and like I got dragged up on my ankles, and like oh. you know those sort of things. Like I, I, we've all been able to manage our adrenaline differently. Right. I do worry sometimes that like we don't that we may actually like not understand what fear means anymore, right? right? In a way that like might not be productive. Um, but yeah, like I can't, I like don't think about what it means to die. What do you do for yourself, uh, for your mental health, for your physical health? Because it's a lot of stress, regardless if you've tuned down the, the volume of fear or the specter of death or whatever you want to call it. What do you do for your mental health, man? Yeah, I think that, you know, Twitter for me has always been a way to process the world as much as it has been a way to share things that happen in the world. Um, so the processing is important for me to like think through, like, this is what happened. This is what it means. Um, and then being around people who love me, right? right? Who I like don't have to question whether you love me. You don't just like me because of the movement or whatever. Um, so being around my family is really important. My closest friends, like those things. Um, and then being alone, like I said before, like I'm just not alone often. Right. So it's always good when I can be in a place and just like reset. But but processing the world is probably like one of the most important things for me, which is why I tweet and like, you know, we'll just not look at notifications and just like get it off. Right. How do you decompress though? Like how do you how do you fully decompress? Yeah, it is It is as simple as, like, processing it or, like, being alone, right. talking to my sister and my friends. Got it. Um, growing up, though, were you raised to, to have this activist spirit? No, I think that, you know, both my parents are drug addicts. My right. mother left when I was three. My father raised us, um, and he sponsored a, a ton of people and continues to. Um, so so I, you saw him doing community work. And I, like, grew up in a community of recovery, right? I, right. like, literally saw people put their lives together, and right. I saw, like, community being rebuilt, um, and I appreciated that. And then, like, as when I was a teenager, I, like, worked in community organizing and stuff like that. Um, but I have this, like, radical belief in faith in people's ability to, like, change lives, right? Like, that matters to me. Did you read any books that inspired you when you were growing up? Mm, n- yes, but, like, inspired me to, you know, do this work. The Giver will always be one of the most magical books I've ever read, right? It was, like, a it showed me, like, the power of um, of language, right, and, like, the imagination, and that stuff fuels me. Like, right. I just, like, believe that a better world can, like, hope is a belief that our tomorrows can be better than our today's, right? And, like, literature did that for me. Right. But how, how difficult is it to be hopeful when white supremacy never stops, right? White supremacy is relentless. And someone that's on the front lines like yourself, the pushback, I can imagine, is just, just ongoing. How do you remain so hopeful? You know, challenge is uh, this language about the front line, right? Cause, and I don't use it particularly because we're all on the front lines. Yes. I'm just on the front lines differently, okay. right? Um, the hope thing is that, like, I just know, I like, it has to be better. And, and, and black people have always been disadvantaged and we've always survived, right? And we've always made it through conditions that we should not have. The odds have always been against us and we've always overcome. Um, and that, like, is what reminds me. And it's the kids, right? I think about, like, the kids I taught, like, deserve a better world. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm not doing my part if I'm not fighting for that world for them. Um, when you went out to uh, Ferguson, you went out alone, correct? Correct. And then you started being introduced to a greater community. And then you realized it was a movement. How how alone did you feel when you went out there, first and foremost? I didn't at all. And that was, like, the beautiful you, thing You didn't feel it. alone? Yeah, because, I mean, I was, like, I was I had no friends, right? Like, right. literally didn't know anybody. Um, but there was like so much beautiful beauty and blackness, right? I'll never forget the woman who brought out her grill every day and made hot dogs and hamburgers really? in the corner. You're like, yes. Or like, you know, there was, <laughs> there was enough water. You were like drowning in water out <laughs> yeah. there. It was like, everybody had water. Don't drink no more water because you got to go to the bathroom. Right, it was like water everywhere. Pizza. Right. Like it was like people just, 
I mean, it was real community out there. It was really impressive and beautiful and amazing to see. So that's amazing because the news that we're getting is that, uh, you know, places like Ferguson is so depressed, it's so oppressed, and there's all this tension going on. But here you're out there, and it seems like you're being inspired by the beauty of community, inspired by the fighting spirit to not lay down and let this thing continue. That yeah. was August. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was like, a, it was like awesome. Yeah. Like to see people like resist, you know, like in the beginning, it, we were fighting back against a system that was like literally killing people. Right? right. And like that was, it was very visceral and people came out in droves because it was like, you just can't do this. Right. Like you will stop killing us. Like you will. Um, and that has been the beautiful thing and to see people like reclaim their voices. Like one of the, when I, I think about protests is disruption, protest is confrontation, and protest is also the end of silence. Right. And what we saw in August was people saying, I will not be silent anymore. You know, my, my biggest problem, particularly with some of my peers, particularly in the entertainment industry, um, is that I, I find that a lot of my peers are silent. You know, and they'll, they'll cover the entertainment beat, but they won't talk about, you know, the, this, 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 this situation at hand, this movement at hand. And I get so frustrated, and sometimes I want to lash out. How do you, I mean, of course, silence is, is loud in itself, but how do you inspire people to not be silent when they've already been silent? You know, I'm also looking at certain celebrities that have a lot of influence, and if they say one word, could really turn the tides of this thing, and so many people are so silent. I'll start with the first question. I think that um, some people, sadly, don't realize that this is closer to them right. than they, like, get, right? So, like, when... When the police kill somebody and they're like, oh, my God, that's my grocery store. Then you're like, yep, mm-hmm, that could have been you, too. Right. Like, so I do think there's some of that that like is it as it play is is it like people it will take that to convince some people. Right. Um, and then I do think it's like, you know, these two goals that I've always kept in my mind is like, how do we tell the truth differently? Which is the whole like nine days of the police having killed somebody. And then how do we tell the truth in ways that empower people? And I think that like the movement space is figuring out the second one right. um, with the influencers. I think that. You know, a lot of celebrities or influencers is, is how I think about them. Like, don't actually, like, have spaces where they can talk about race, right? So there's some people I'd rather be quiet because they say things that, like, of actually course. are really unproductive. Yes. But I am interested in how we create spaces where influencers can have those conversations about race that are safe for them. And then that the fruit of that conversation can go and influence their art, right? And do you, I'm not I'm convinced that those exist. Right. Do you, do you think that these—you're saying that these influences don't have space, but traditionally— you know, influences have always challenged and made space. Is it something in terms of the time right now, in terms of like how our culture has been a lot more corporatized? No, I'm saying that they need space. Like I think I need the influencers to get in a room with each other or I somebody see. and like, and then they talk about race so they I can, see. you know, cause some of it is like, you need to hear somebody talk through why the black on black crime argument is ridiculous. Right. right. And unless you've had somebody challenge you, then like you, you know, you don't get it. And you get people like Diddy, right, who puts that Instagram post up that essentially says, like, if you're respectable, like, white supremacy will respect you. And you're like, that's crazy. Right. But you also aren't reading any of those Instagram comments that are replying to you telling you that's why, right? Right. So we need to get you in a room where you, like, get it, right? And then <laughs> have that, like, influence your art. Okay. I've had this argument back and forth about black-on-black crime. And, it, and, it, and it's crazy. Tell us why it's, that, that's such a non-issue with regard to this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, the simplest thing is that, like, the police are killing people as a function of their job. Yes, it's systemic. Right, and it's like, it is like a state function. Like, the police are literally, they are on duty and executing people, which is different from any sort of civilian crime that can exist. 
and the system protects those officers protects who do them. it right. in a way that like the system is not protecting any civilian who kills another civilian or does any damage to another civilian. And that's the biggest gang in the world. Right. The police. The police. Yes. Because like, the only, if you think about it, when you say, we always talk about this, about how like the, there, there hasn't been a crack in the system in so long to like prove like like because if something happens like that they just like hide everything. They, they they've had that... they've had the luxury and the privilege of hide, hiding everything. Yeah. And they the, the 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 most insidious thing about the police is that they hide in plain sight, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Like they are always present. Like what they do is always present, and they're just there, right? And 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 we've not been able to challenge it until now, which has been a it's been fascinating over the last nine months to see. Like, the power of people just asking questions is so real, you know? You know, I'm so naive, and I'm older than you. I was so naive that I thought, over 20 years ago, the videotape of Rodney King, the Rodney King beating, was going to change everything. I thought it was going to change everything, because I thought this was the first time that we were able to validate, you know, our complaints to America, and that didn't do anything. And and even now, you know, I see, you know, I mean, they're walking away. The Oscar Grant situation really, really hurt me because I thought that was plain. You know, this whole Tamir Rice thing right now where they're trying to criminalize that boy. It's, 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 it's this, this thing, this, 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 this protection of police seems so slippery and it seems to be consistently getting more slippery. W- w- would you would you agree? Yeah. You know, I. I... The police have done a phenomenal job of institutionalizing yes. the protections of the police, right? Like masterful in ways that almost no other group of um, employees that are like state masterful. Run. right? I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, and I think that like what we will see over the past <laughs> over the um, over the next couple of months is that we will like chip away at that like piece by piece because what is truly radical about this moment is that like the regular person is woke, right? right? Like the conversation about race and the police is no longer stuck in the academy. It's not just in, the, in middle-class homes. It is like people in streets and communities who are like, no, 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 this, like something has to give. Um, and I don't think the system anticipated that, right. which is like truly powerful here. So do you sense a general, um, for better lack of words, uh, a sense of general awakening amongst amongst society? Yeah, I think people are like... Are, are getting woke you know i'm also i'm sensitive to the 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 reality that like being woke and staying woke are two different things right, right? yes and that in the beginning we were trying to we were convincing people that there was a problem and exposing the problem and now we're getting to a point where we are trying to solve the problem because the problem has been exposed right and the reality is that the strategies for those two will be different right, right? and like we will not undo 400 years of oppression in 300 days that that is an unrealistic expectation so i think in this moment you know i think about like the phases is like we were fighting it was community building, and now we're in what I call like preparing to win. It's this moment where people are like stepping back and saying like, "What does a win look like?" Most of the wins are are like contextual; they are in cities, and you know, federally there's some stuff that can happen, but at the local level, there's also some really powerful stuff that can happen. I think people are stepping back and saying, "What does it mean to win?" Have you had any instances because you know the people that push back against you are so irrational? You know, white supremacy is irrational, racism is irrational. Have you seen situations where someone's been so against seeing your point of view and then you've seen a gradual change in them yeah like i'm also sensitive to the fact that like we we weren't born woke right right that like something normally happens that wakes you up i would have said that that police violence happens as often as measles outbreaks right like it happens somebody fixes it and then and now it's like i know it's the plague right that this is like wild um and i would have said that before august so i get that like people wake up differently 
I'm hopeful in the movement space that we can like figure out how to target people differently. And I think that like slowly it's happening. I, frankly, the police, you know, I was with an elder at one point and I asked him, how will, how do we keep the protests alive? And he said, you don't have to worry about it. The police will do it for you. Right. <laughs> and I think that that is real. <laughs> right. Is that the police are killing people. They yes. haven't slowed down. They haven't stopped. They haven't been remorseful. Right. And know. the more that we like keep the stories visible, the more that people realize like that could have been you, could have been you that's down the street from you. What I find remarkable looking at the scope of American history, and, and Pete mentioned that, is that this is the first time in American history where the police force has been questioned, mm-hmm. that they're being scrutinized, that they're being- By everybody. Being by challenged. everybody. Right. Um, and so it's, it's two things. It's a fear, and it's also uh, uh, an arrogant response to challenge of their privilege. What, why do you think the, the police, other than, of course, their own personal- selfish reasons why do you think they're so resilient to change and 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 i mean why doesn't the cop say you know what i i i made a mistake you know i i shot someone and i i feel bad about it why why doesn't any of these police officers do that i know they're trained to not do that but as a decent human being why why don't we see that you know i think that i think that the american dream is like built on many myths Mm -hmm. and one is like the myth of the american hero right and I think the police have always occupied this space of heroism. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I remember Officer Friendly. He mm-hmm. was a hero to me. Like, you, who do you call when anything happens? You call the police. And we played cops and robbers when we were right. kids. And most of us, some, well, you some were, of, I was the robber. You were the robber. I wanted to play the cop. <laughs> uh, how about you? Did you? You know, I didn't play cops. And uh, okay. Robbers, but, <laughs> <laughs> did you play hide and go seek? I did play hide and go seek. Uh, manhunt. Manhunt. What's a manhunt? Ma- Is it hide and go seek? It was like red light, green light. Red light, green. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Manhunt. I never, Mother, may I? Mother yes, Mother May. Yes, Mother May. Um, yeah, so I think that I, I do think there's like this functioning of the hero, the hero, the myth of the American hero. The police have occupied that, and I think that they've been comfortable in the hero space, and like they see people challenging the hero space, and they're like, no, but we're the good guys, right? right. And it's like, no, we all can be the good guy. Like you can actually be the good guy and not kill people, and Tamir could be the good guy and still be alive. That like it doesn't have to be this this us this, thumb. Yes, like you actually feed the us thumb by killing people. Like we're not, you know, we didn't start this. Um, you started it, right? We're just responding to what you did. You know, it's funny you say that, uh, Combat, because I think I've been saying for a long time that police fail to co- connect with the community anymore. And when we speak about American Dream, if a cop finally said, like, hey, I fucked up or, or I made a mistake and, and it, you know, has maybe he's punished for it or he did his... The point I'm trying to make is if they ever did something like that, maybe it would be... A, um, a step uh, to to uh, to change to some you know meaning like yo we're normal too you know because everything they do is just you know uh, hidden yeah no I agree and and, and, and that's what that's what's crazy to me and there is this interesting thing about like should police officers like be in the communities that they patrol police, right yes. and I think that some of that I agree with that I also think that like. You shouldn't have to know my full name and where I live mm-hmm. to like know that I'm worth that, that I, like my life is worthy, right. right? And the same way about training, people shouldn't have to train you not to kill twelve year olds, right? right? That's like a crazy mm-hmm. notion. Like I think that that is, and I and I think that those are often excuses that the police hold up. I am interested though in like what the training. You're like, y'all are wild out there, especially yeah. the Texas cop. I mean, he came in like he was fucking uh, uh, Paul Tackleberry. Uh, uh, right. What's Paul his name? Uh, yeah, even uh, from Police Academy back in the day. Right. What's his name? Tackleberry? I don't remember Tackleberry. Tackleberry from Police Academy was like a, a, a insane police officer. But, uh, you know, even like he came in, you know. But I also want to point out, what was that teacher in Houston? Uh, I think I think it was from Houston. And the cop pulled him over and said he, he, he fit the profile of not looking like... Meanwhile, he was a teacher. And he was like teacher of the year. 
You, you, did you hear about that guy? No. Damn, I can't remember his name. But but going back to McKinney, um, I was amazed that within a week, not that things had been resolved, but that had been changed. Yeah, so I would push and say that, you know, and this is this is like where we are always cautious about what winning looks like. Right. Is that he quit. Um, they gave him an opportunity to quit before so he, he got fired. So he, he kept his pension. So bef- not even that is that, that isn't even the worst part. The worst part is that he quit before the internal affairs investigation was over. Mm. So there may actually not be any official record that he ever did this on right. his file. Right. So he can just go, you know, we'll forget his name in two weeks. Case bolt. And then he'll go be a police officer somewhere else, right? Like that actually. Do you think that that's really possible with with Officer Case? Is it possible? Who's been so yes. like because he was a trending topic for days? Yeah, he could definitely go do it, and you never know, right? right. Like, and, and there's no nothing on his file. Like, it won't ever be a part of his record. Like that, that is wild, and we right. gotta like fix systems at a deeper level. And you know, McKinney is a phenomenal example because the police union came out and said like it wasn't about race, right? right? And like we have been seduced in this America to believe that racism is only nigger. And lynching, right? and 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 clans, and 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 burning crosses, and the right. obvious, but it anti- antiquated things that we've seen in the past, right? And 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 it manifests in so many other ways yes. that are obvious to people of color all the time. But in My, you're talking about like microaggressions and and the multitude of microaggressions, correct? That, right. that we suffer on a daily basis, or on caseball. You know, he comes in, he's knocking a little boy's head over. You're like, that is crazy, <laughs> yeah. right? Like you're not doing that to any. The white kids are literally mm-hmm. invisible to yeah, you. Yeah. And the fact that you only touched black bodies, mm-hmm. you're like nothing about race. They yeah, just no, not, not about race. You're like that is that's untrue. Yeah, another, I spoke about it earlier about my frustration with people's silence. Another thing that I'm frustrated about is you know I have a lot of white friends that are very aware of what's going on, and we have these conversations about you know it's it's messed up and it's definitely unjust, but they won't say anything, and I'm frustrated in terms of are white people afraid to talk about this in in general. I think that some white people don't have the language, right? right. Like, I, there is this, the power of white guilt is real. Right. And white people have to work through white guilt, right? Like, that's, white that's people, not our problem. Right. And white people need to help white people work through it. And, right. like, people need to start organizing. And explain to our, 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 our listeners who might not know what white guilt is. I mean, it's this idea that, like, that I, as a white person, am personally, like, I did something wrong. And, and like, people don't know how to get through that. It's like, Even though I never did anything wrong. Right. And, like, I'm, I'm, I didn't own slaves. Right. But, like, did it, like it's, it's that sort of. Yeah, I mean, you hear, I heard that over the years. Like, I, I didn't have nothing to do with slavery. So what, I'm Italian. Forget no, about Not me. It. Okay. I'm saying I heard people say that. Right. You know, for me, I mean, I understand it more. And, and I feel like I'm somebody that really um, just just wanted to see change in my own neighborhood and wanted to see change in, in my family and wanted to see change from from everything I grew up in. So, you know, I mean, not everyone could be like that, you know, um, but that's something that I but they did. they can, right? Why can't everybody? Um, yeah, why can't? I don't... I don't and I don't the reason that. why I say that for is because because I just feel like like it's it's being taught in homes too much. You know, when I go back to my, my old neighborhood, like, like it's still so alive of like you know like I mean you don't know me but uh, you know speaking over the years of, on the Combat Jack show I'll explain like I used to come I grew up in Coney Island it's more of a different type of neighborhood than Bensonhurst I moved Bensonhurst after Coney Island when I went to Bensonhurst I was hanging out with the same friends I was hanging out in Coney Island they called me over a couple guys like hey we can't have those people over here now to me I was like what people are you talking about these are my fucking friends I was playing Super Nintendo with I don't know what you're talking about so. You know, the point I'm trying to make is they never change. Their kids never change. And it keeps on going on and on and on. 
and people said the same thing about slavery, right? Yeah. That like there's always that there is this uh, one of the tricks of white supremacy is that it, that the, its sway seems inevitable, and we we succumb to the inevitability of of no progress, um, and then we get progress. I mean, we fight for it, right? right? This idea that, like, you know, hope is important, but hope requires work, too. And, yes. I, and I'm the most hopeful person that can be, but, like, it requires work, too. And I'm, like, always mindful of the fact that, like, we have always overcome and the odds have always been against us. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So going back to what I was saying, is it, like, this extra added sense of fear of losing privilege or losing out with, 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 with the gang with, with regard to white people and speaking out? I do think, I, I do think there, are, there are some people who don't realize that if they actually fight for free, like for equality or like what, how freedom, equity, whatever you want to liberation of people of color, that they will concomitantly like relinquish their privilege, mm. right? That if we are all equally free, then like white privilege will not exist. And I do think there's some people who don't, who don't, who cannot imagine what life for them looks like. Even the most progressive people, like right. what would it mean where my whiteness has no, no more sort of um, power in the space than other people? Right. You know, it's it's funny, man. Just the the, the compassionate, emphatic person in me. Um, when I take myself out of our unique struggle, um, and I look at you know general white America, like I feel sorry for them with regards to the fear. That they, because the world is changed. The world is changing very fast in front of them. Like we have a black president, you know, with regard to demographics, things are changing. So I feel for them and their fear, even though we have to change things. But I, I can, yeah, but I can, you, I can feel that fear. You shouldn't, ha you shouldn't have to do. I that. shouldn't have to. But if you're a human being, you can be, I, I be able to take yourself out of your shoes and feel somebody saying. else's situation. But you, I don't know if I feel that. I, you know. Okay, so I'll, I'll tell you my personal example. Okay. I used to be a Christian. I'm a Buddhist now. But I remember the first time someone argued with me, someone who was an atheist and argued with me that there was no God. From the, and as their argument started making sense, I, I was afraid because I didn't know what life meant without God. You know what I mean? Yes. And I think it's almost like the same thing because I've heard people say that racism in America is a religion. And if that religion isn't real, then what, 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 what how do we exist? I just, I, that makes sense to me. I, my push would be this idea that like, I don't ever feel sorry for whiteness, right? right. Because like the dominant culture has made whiteness what it means to be alive mm -hmm. and it has always survived, right? right? Like it, it'll be fine whether I feel for it or not. Right. Um, I, I'm not, I, let me clarify. I don't feel sorry for whiteness. I feel sorry for the individuals that feel lost as the world continues to change fat. You, you know what I'm saying? In their privilege. In right? Their, like still privileged. Yes, of course. And lost. Yes. Right. Like resourced, like free. Call, all me, those a, call me a fool, but that that's just how I feel. You know I, what I, mean? I just hope that those feel like what happens with the marginalized people is that we internalize like the feelings of the oppressor. Of course. Right. right? And then, like, we over, we, like, forget our own struggle. Oh, no, no, like, I'm not forgetting. I, I'm, no, like, oh, no, trust me, brother. <laughs> trust me. I am not. For, no, I'm not that dude. But but I also think that uh, a lot of white people, again, I can't speak for all white people. I mean, but I think that a lot of white people, um, we had this conversation with Mark Lamont Hill, you know, where they want to say, well, why could the black people use the N-word and we can't? Why would you want to use the N word? Is what I tell them. Why would you want for what it for what it's for what it stand for for what it's worth for what it was used for? Why the fuck would you be upset if they're able to use it and you're not? 
So that's something that makes yeah, me... Yeah, where, where do you think that argument's coming from, DeRay? I mean, I, do, it's like a, I think two things. One is like, it's a function of whiteness to always be centered, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how dare there be something I can't have access mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. which how is like an dare interesting... I can't, right. And then there is this thing about like, the tension with white supremacy is that it like is predicated on the presence of blackness, right? That like, without... Like, blackness has always had like, such cultural resonance in this America that without it, like, you know, the, this space starts spinning... And the N-word is, like, a function of that, that, like, people want access to this cultural, like, it it, it, it resonates culturally in blackness. It functions differently. And it's, like, a it is a powerful word in some spaces that isn't derogatory. And people want that, right? Because they always want. Well, you just said something, though. So if there were no, if we just disappeared, if black people just disappeared overnight, would white people go crazier? Well, the construct of whiteness is like is predicated on there being non-white. Yes. Right. And and because black has always functioned as a different non-white in, in the space the of other, America. Yes. Right. As the other. Um, whiteness would be unmoored. Right. It would be like uncentered because there'd be no like blackness has such cultural resonance. And like the culture of blackness underpins so it's much. It's like an anchor. Other, right. Right. Listen, let's do this. Let's go to a break. And come back with with Mr. Absolutely. Ray McKesson. Internets, you tuned into the Combat Jack Show, thecombatjackshow.com. Cheer. Hey, yo, Internets, tonight's sponsor of the Combat Jack Show is Casper Mattresses. Obsessively engineered American-made mattresses at a shockingly fair price. And now you can get $50 towards any mattress off by going to casper.com slash combat and using the code COMBAT. Listen, you spend about a third of your life sleeping, snoozing, you know, sleep is a cousin of death and all that. Let's make sure you're doing it on a good mattress. Casper brings together two comfy technologies together for better nights and brighter days. Latex, foam, and memory foam. That's two foams, B. So they've got just the right sink, just the right bounce, no matter how much you sleep. They've got a risk-free trial and return policy. They'll deliver it straight to you, and you could try it for 100 days. And if you're not happy, they'll come back to your house and pick up your mattress. At the store, maybe you'll get a minute to try their mattresses. With Casper, you'll actually get to sleep on it for 100 days. It's $500 for a twin-size mattress and $950 for a king-size mattress. Comparing that to industry averages, that's an outstanding price point. So get $50 towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash combat and using code combat, C-O-M-B-A-T. Sleep better. Sleep like a boss. Sleep so your back floats in heaven. Terms and conditions apply. Internet, you tuned into the Combat Jack Show, thecombatjackshow.com with our very special guest, Mr. DeRay McKesson. DeRay, what's, so, what's, what's, what's this thing about you being a paid protester or a professional Protests. I saw you last week or a couple of weeks ago on on CNN. Was it Sean Hannity? He's on Fox. He's yes. on he's on Fox, and yes. and he was trying to say like, like this thing is. I I didn't know what angle. It was just insidious, and he was trying to say that maybe you're just out for, out for the money. You're doing this for the money. What, what number one? I don't see anything wrong with being a professional. I don't even want to say protest. I mean organizer. Organizer. But what's that whole thing about, man? Yeah, you know, I do. I think that I'll just say that the question arises as a function of race. Right. Is that, you know, the Tea Party, the Family Research Council, like all of those places are definitely people getting, making buku bucks, like mm-hmm. tearing up anything that has to do with people of color. Mm-hmm. And there's no question there. Um, and that people have been doing deep organizing work in communities across the country as their work 
for many for many years, right? right? Um, and in this space, like I think people feel threatened because we are attacking an institution that has not normally been attacked. In my own life, I'll say, like I said before, like I've said many times, is that you know I was a senior level administrator in two school systems before I um, before I quit, um, and I've been able to use my savings and and sort of retirement. You smart man with your money, huh? Um, to to be able to fund sort of what I do right, right now and my friends, right? right? And my friends have resources and that I'm able to leverage in this moment. I am interested in figuring out how we um, can create like a 501c3 or, or, or something to provide a little structure around the way that we um, organize in this moment. So with the infographics that we do or, or capturing data, like those sort of things, right. uh, creating communities for, for protesters and organizers around this information I think is important. But I do think that people are threatened by the idea that black people are coming together differently. Right. And that the pay protester angle is a way to like try and discredit the people Once again, another, because another they can't angle. discredit mm-hmm. the work. Right? right. Like you can't, the police are killing people. I didn't make that up. You right. know? Yeah. They, they continue to give you work. Like if they didn't kill people, you right. work your work. I would, go home. I go back to the, I go back to the school system. <laughs> you know, let's, let's talk about something else, man. Cause you're not only pissing off, you know, the people who we would expect to be pissed off, but you know, what was this thing a couple of weeks ago with, 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 with Montel Williams and, and, and him, calling you out and saying you know mlk what was that about yeah you know i don't know i woke up to it and mm-hmm. i wrote back like you're not oprah and and that's okay right? did like, you have any interaction with him before no so how did that how what what he got... follows me he okay. has followed me for a while on right. twitter um I, I believe that he saw the handy interview and 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 thought he was helping i know that's what he said he like sent me a message later that said he thought he was helping i don't right. know what that means but um, you know, I, Black Twitter showed up for me, and I appreciated that. Yeah, how did you, you know? feel, man, when when you saw the overwhelming support? I appreciate it. You know, it is this. I I like what Twitter has allowed us to do is like be in community mm-hmm. differently, mm-hmm. right? And like that was a moment where you saw people like come together. Um, and I and I felt appreciative as somebody who has been dragged before. Right. <laughs> so I feel like I've like paid my dues. Um, but yeah, no, I felt appreciated. I don't know where that attack came from, and I and I get attacked often right. um, on the platform. It was odd to come from someone with such a historical high profile. But but once again, that I mean, going through that from the outside looking in, it just seemed that you survived that. You were graceful with that, you know, graceful through that, and that just continued to help you in your momentum, man. I appreciate it. You know that I just want as many people to be woke and stay right. woke as possible, right? Like, it's the goal. You know, I personally um, had an experience with you where. Um, and and just, you know, the sense of uh, the power that you have, you know. Um, I had a situation where a friend of mine recently, Internets, I think I might have spoken to you about this, had a friend of mine uh, at MS-51 in Brooklyn, middle school. 51, her 13-year-old girl was punched in the face by an adult uh, parent. And this parent was allowed to, you know, leave the school premises. And, you know, p- the police were very slow to respond and, you know, had been tweeting about it. And then it wasn't until... DeRay was like, what's up? And you retweeted it. And then it's just started getting like more traction that, 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 you know, the press started reaching out and it became a story. And then eventually the woman was arrested. Um, and it, it just showed me the power of community, but it was, it also was like, DeRay's the guy I got to turn to if I got to have an, if I have an issue that I want to see some results. How do you feel about that? man? You know, I think that the, the reality is that the power, and thank you. I'm sorry. Thank you, really, because like you, we we were all, we got offline, and you were like, "What is this? Send me all the if like you were really engaged. You didn't know me, and I really appreciate that, man. Yeah, you're, I, I appreciate you. You know, the power lies in both the truth and the people. Like at my best, I'm a conduit for those right. two things. 
Um, and I'm like proud to be able to sit in that space. But like the power is the people and the truth. And I often say the truth is so damning it should radicalize people. Right. And like all I need to do is tell the truth all day long. And like that is that is powerful. Um, so yeah, so I, so yeah, that is my response to that. I do, I am sensitive to the fact that like these stories like would be so hidden, right? That people are like experiencing such crazy trauma. And that like, you know, like I said, it, it, my best I can be a conduit and like right. tell people stories. Um, so that like there can be there can be life to it like Martise Johnson who got beat up at UVA. Yes, I remember I got tweeted. I was at the dentist's office. I got all these tweets about him. I saw the pictures. Was like I don't know if this is real. I like tweeted a, a random student at UVA. I said, "Can you hop on the phone?" We got on the phone. I said, "Did you know Martise? Like, is he actually hurt?" She was like, "Yes." I was like, "Okay." Got off the phone. Called the UVA president's office. I was like, "Is there a statement about the beating of Martise Johnson?" They were like, "Uh, communications, transferring to communications." I was like, "Is there a statement about the beating of Martise Johnson?" She said, she said, no, not at this time. I got in that. We have this chat of organizers. I got in, said, I heard this kick. I beat up. Netta tweeted it, called the president's office, 1600 retweets in like 20 minutes. We flood it. It becomes a story. And then we pass it off to the organizers, right? Like we helped sort of make, bring visibility to the crisis, right? And then we're telling everybody like, go to UVA, CNN call me. I have no quote. I'm not a UVA, but go there. And like at our best, I hope that that's what we can do for people. So two things, man, like. Last year at this time, you had about at best nine like nine hundred followers on Twitter, right? I counted today. You like at one hundred and forty six thousand point two. He said point two followers, like, and so you have this 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 influence, or for for lack of better terms, power. How does your life change in such a short amount of time? How has your life personal life changed? It hasn't changed as much as people, you know, people are like, Dre, you're so famous, famous and not free, right? Right. Um, Is, if anything, I'm like much more thoughtful about the things I say and how I say them. Um, You said something amazing on, on, um, on Fan Bros again about choice of words because you're on such a big platform. Can you, can you share some of the examples where you may have said the wrong things and you saw the ripple, even though the intention I said, um, I said that I will not be crippled by fear. You you, you, you tweeted that. I did, yes. and the disability community had me done right. right. Like this, like the casual, the casual, casualness with which I said crippled. Like right. that was an issue. I also said, um, you know, there's enough chaos and blackness. Like we are not anarchists, and I spent three days, like trying to suss it out with the anarchists, being like, that's not what I like. I didn't mean. They it were like coming that. for you, and yeah, they were. Were they we trying were to really, get a non again? <laughs> No, I let Anon and you know Anon and I are on good terms. Good, good, um, good. You always want to be it, on good terms with Anon. But it was, it was just trying to understand, like you know, I had a different understanding of what anarchy was, right. and they were like, "This is what it means," and I was like, "I got it." What I grown up thinking anarchy is like destroy every bedlam and the purge, and, and, and like all. that wasn't what it meant. And I was right. like, "That makes sense to me." So I've been much more careful. It is odd sometimes. I I tweet so much about my life, um, but not necessarily about the mundane things. So when I do, people always think I get hacked. Like if I tweet, you know, like I want, I want mashed potatoes. People are like, are you okay? Is, right. the, is, is something wrong here? Right. It's like, what's going on I'm here? Like, Y'all know I'm not hacked. But I, but is I, it is it tiring to watch, to be careful with your words? I, and, and and I don't. I'm not on as, as large a platform as you are. But I've said some things in the past on this platform, and I've seen it do, take it a life of its own. And I've had to clean it up. And it's made me so, not self policing, but just just a little bit more conscious. Yeah, I would say I'm not any, I'm, it doesn't, mm, 
I like want to be able to stand by everything I say, right. right? So I like, and that has been a commitment for a while. So like, I only delete tweets that like have typo. Like if I said it, I meant it, and I that hate, was real. I hate typos. Um, but like you know, I I need to be able to stand my words. So I'm, right. I'm more thoughtful about like anything I say. I I want to defend it to the end, right? Um, because I believe that that's important. So I am I, but you know, the community holds me accountable in the same way they hold everybody accountable. Yep. <laughs> but Twitter, Twitter is like a gift and a curse because. They really can't. They can't hear your tone of voice or how you're saying it or, how you, or the context of how you really mean it. So you know, sometimes you may say something, and you know, people don't really know how it's coming off. They just see it. Right. You know, I, I saw something personally last week. A couple of my followers, who I really appreciate, they were like, "We, we, I just had to, I just had to unfollow Duray, and it feels good." And I was like, "Where's that coming from?" I actually was going to tweet like, "What's up with these people saying they had to unfollow Duray? Do you know anything about that?" No, I do think there's this, you know, I think that some people think that I'm, like, on their timeline too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think there's, like, a group of people who, like, want me to fail, right, who are, like, waiting for me to right. do something that, like, you know, meets their criteria fail. Right. Um, and, like, I don't, you know, I don't know. I I don't know. I was just surprised because it was people that I admire, and I was like, yeah, I mean, of course, you know, the sometimes I get, over race with race and sometimes I would just love to open up my timeline and not see anything about race so I could talk about hip hop sports comic food. books movies food whatever it is but it just continues to suck you in and it, and, and sometimes it can be damaging to your psyche it's something because it's relentless but I, I can never see myself just wanting to completely unplug from, from the yeah movie. and I talk about race because race is working on me right yeah, like yeah. I'm not the enemy racism is right. and that's real right yeah. like that's so I, yeah, it's got to be tough for you too because I think about it. You know, um, I don't know if you ever felt like this, but why? Like I stopped watching TV for a while because I'm like, fuck, all you see is just horrible shit. So somebody died, someone this, someone that. You know, you're coming across all these stories and all these things that aren't. I, I want to say aren't. You know, aren't good. Aren't healthy. Aren't healthy. You ever feel that way? Like you know, where you're like, damn man, another like like it gets sad to see what's happening. But I know you probably, you know, you're never sitting there like not, you know, thinking like this is something not true because it's happening, happening again. Yeah. And I will. And I'm I'm painfully aware that like the discomfort I experience is pales in comparison to the discomfort that Tamir's mom experiences. Right. right? And Mike Brown's mom experiences and, and like Jordan Davis yeah. and Ezo Ford and yes. Rakia Boyd and Iona Jones. Right. That like that family shouldn't have to deal with that. And that, like, I can play, like, a small part in trying to make sure that doesn't happen again. So, like, yes, I'm tired. Like, all those things are real. But, like, they'll never see Mike again. And, like, that's right. real, right? Yeah. And, like, they'll never see Tamir and Ayana and, and Rakia. So, and that, like, keeps me going. I do, you know, I'd be lying if I said I didn't take the attacks personal, right? Like, I, some days, because I try and, like, you know, I look at all my mentions, right? Like, my notifications are still on. Like, yeah. I, like, I... I believe in the democratic spirit of this space, right? Yes. Which is why I like still. I definitely believe in that as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it is hard when it's like, you know, and I'm willing to go back and forth, right? If you, if I said something, you need to hold me accountable. Let's talk about it. Right. I struggle with the people who are like, well, he obviously did it. You know, today I said, I'm not talking about Rachel anymore. Like too much. Can, um, can we talk about her though? Mm, and then I said, I said, ask Rachel right. was hilarious. Right. right. Ask Rachel was amazing. And then this person writes back, like you can't call yourself a civil rights. And you're like, but I just said that Rachel was a distraction right. from the Dallas PD. Yes. She got way more coverage than that man who blew like blew up police cars like that. But came in in a zombie mobile. Yeah, kitted out. Even mm. and how did he put bombs at the police department? Right. 
under cars yeah. and nobody saw. Yeah. Like, that is crazy to me. Yeah. Like, Rachel has done some crazy stuff. Pales in comparison to this guy who, like, blew up some cars. Um, and people, like, you know, this guy saw that one tweet and was like, DeRay must not be about the real work. And you're like, eh, really? Like, that's like, dramatic, yeah, right? That, like, that is a lot. Yeah. You, you can't pay attention to all no, the but, but No, but it does annoy me where you say something and, and, and you're obviously about what you're saying. And then you say something light. And then somebody is just so critical. It's like, where's your sense of humor? Yeah. Or, yeah, so it's like, DeRay only talks about the police. So then I'm like, you know, I'm like, I like Zebra Case. You're like, he can't be real. And you're like, y'all, this is, I like can't win. You know? But some people do that shit on purpose just to get a reaction out right. of somebody. And, and you know, it, it, we spoke about this many times before. It's almost like the comment section on YouTube or the blogs. You know, you, you what you're doing is you're doing good work. You're doing, I want to say, God's work, you know? And, you know, if you go see a hundred comments that say beautiful things about you, you're only going to look at that one that says that you're a piece of shit or you're, that you're horrible or you don't care. And you're going to focus on that and not the hundred comments. You know, listen, you got to do me a favor because I, 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 I didn't read your time. I've been running around and, and this actually episode comes out two weeks from now. So it's kind of like a breather. What do you think of the whole Rachel thing for real? Like, what do you think about it? You got you got we got to talk about this. I think. I do think it is, I think it's like a powerful example of how mainstream media can like literally shift the narrative of the nation. Yes. Like I think that is like powerful and it functions that way. Um, I do think it is like, and I haven't figured out this, this whole critique yet, but like there's this fascination with blackness. She, and she was doing the work, man. Like, like her resume is blacker than a lot of people on my timeline from the, from the braiding of the hair to the, Africana studies to yeah. the, the women. And it's the stereotypes, right? Like, yeah. she checked off all the stereotypes. All the boxes. Um, and it is this thing about, like, this fascination with whiteness, right? right? And it and it was somebody... Fascinate, fascination with whiteness, fascination, and, and fascination with, with, with blackness. blackness right? Is that, like, um, it wasn't even, like, appropriation as much as it was theft, right? right. Like, you actually, like, stole right. parts of black culture. Like, you, like, black-faced your way through this. Um yeah, and you know the thing about Rachel is that Rachel will be fine. She will wash that makeup off, and yeah. we won't even know what she looks like. But, but we'll like never see her. But again. what's amazing is, you know, she was so. From what I'm reading, she was so effective at her work. You know, at the at the at Spokane NAACP, and it's just like I I I don't know how to I don't know how to process it. You, you know what I mean? Like I don't know how to process. it. I process it in the same way that I process these statements about like like Bullware, right? Who like shot up the Dallas PD. Yes. His father was on the news and said, and I'll never forget this interview, he said, you know, he mowed the lawn yesterday. Such a nice boy. Like, Rachel probably did some good stuff. Right. And is still a liar. Mm-hmm. And she, like, Deceitful. committed, like, art theft, right? Like, right. you know, plagiarized art. Like, mm-hmm. she did all I this saw, crazy I saw, stuff, Yeah, that's right? crazy. The, the artwork is, is she crazy? She might and be crazy. Is, and, like, remember that, like, and this is how, this is how watch whiteness work, right? Right. Is that like we allow like the historical goodness of white people to, to erase any to negative thing that they right. could have done, right? Right. Black people, Tamir Rice, like you've never heard a story of his friends he played with, mm-hmm. right? You've never heard a story about like when he came the home. Comics he read, the art yeah. that he drew. The, his favorite cartoon. Right. But they turn it around like that. They, his they, father they, didn't pay child support or yeah. his or, or his the, father. No, has well, a well now they now they're saying like what they're focusing on now is they're vilifying him. For 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 a thirteen year old boy reaching into his waistband, which is so coded, twelve, 12. so mm-hmm. coded. Yeah. Oh, it's wild. And it, and and like Rachel's a perfect example of like how she 
Like, though people are definitely dragging her on, on uh, social she, media. She got some drag. Yeah, still humanized, right? right? right. Like, nobody's ever denied her humanity. Right. They've said she's a liar. She's a flawed human. Mm-hmm. She's still a human. Right. Tamir is, like, not a human. He was a 20-year-old, like, beast, right? Michael Brown was a beast. Michael Brown was a beast. He, he was, was no a, angel, yeah, right? Yeah, he, he was a superhuman. Rachel is, like, a mistaken... She's a woman with mental... People are now saying she got mental illness. She could not have actually been this deceitful. She must be mentally ill, mm-hmm. right? And you're like... The way that people are like making these like excuses and stuff is like watch whiteness work, right? And, like, and, and that's time. and that is how that's how insidious whiteness is, because you have you you will always find justification for 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 for, yeah. for whiteness, but no no quarter of an inch. Like blackness never gets nuanced. Whiteness right. always does, right? right? right, right like right. The, this complex identity thing. You know, I, go ahead. I I worry for my kids, but but I I say, how do you feel like that? Uh, you know, fifteen years, twenty years from now, will. Uh, kids especially black kids be in a better position than you know than they are now yeah i think that i think that with regard to the police i think we can live in a world where the police don't kill people and i think that we can get there um, you, in see a way, it. you see it in a way that kids like kids will experience i do think that like one of the critiques of the civil rights movement right is that with the structural wins of desegregation and the voting rights act while they gave people more access, which is undeniable and it was really important, they gave people more access to a still racist system, right? Like ending racism wasn't actually like an explicit goal. Um, and in this moment, I'm interested. That's, that's key. In, I like that. That's key. In this moment, like I'm interested in how we actually get to ending racism, right? right? Like how do we like change hearts and minds in the same way that we focused on changing structures, mm-hmm. right? And I think that like we, because we are able to own the ways that we communicate now, that we actually might have a shot at that. I joke about, um, I joke about people like Beyonce, right? Like if Beyonce sang the alphabet, I believe that it would actually have a demonstrable impact in the in the homes of black people. Mm-hmm. That like that the conversations about literacy would change because people would play it over and over because it was her. And like if you think about like all the versions of the ABC song you've heard, it's not a black person, right? They aren't black voices, right? right? And like somebody like her so has enough. It, so if she takes it to church. Or she sung it like a regular, like, you know, I could see nursery schools playing it. Mm-hmm. I could see first grade. Like, mm-hmm. it would be, there's, there's this resonance that, like, because of her celebrity, she could actually do that. And it could be a cultural influencer, right? Like, um, some interest in how we influence culture. Uh, DeRay, state of black leadership, man. What, what's, your, what's your views on, on black leadership in, in America today? Yeah, I'm, like, interested in see. I, I, like, want to see who will be willing to risk their sort of political future or, or whatever that looks like to do what's right. Right. You know? But do you think, you know, it's funny. I just, uh, I, I listened to Farrakhan. I went to see him speech, uh, see him speech a couple of weeks ago, hear him speak a couple of weeks ago. And he was like, if you're working within the political system, you can't really put it on the line. And it made me think, you know, it, it politicians are politicians. You know, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, that Obama's in office, but he can only go, but so far. Um, so I, I'm of the belief that it takes someone that's outside of the political system to really effectuate change. No, I think that, so my push would be that like everything's a choice, right? right? And people make, people sometimes, all of us, we make choices today because we, we think about the impact that it'll have on our tomorrows, right. which makes total sense. Um, I, I, I want to believe that there are people who like are less worried about their own personal They're tomorrow all, yes. and like more people like in everybody's tomorrow. I think about it as somebody, I like deeply worked in structures. That was my work. And I remember when I got to Minneapolis, like, we didn't have a way to screen teachers. Like, literally, there was, like, no system to screen teachers. It was very bad for kids. Um, And we developed these, like, structures to screen teachers. And it was not easy, right? Like, I'd be in meetings with people who were, like, 
Mm, we should, and it's like, no, right? Like, I'm loyal to kids first, right. like, way before I'm loyal to any anybody in this office or in any office. Um, and it was a lot of fighting, but it was, it was, you know, I made the commitment that, like, you don't have to love me because I'm not here for you to love me, right? Not that I'm going to be crazy just because, like, you know, I'm one of those people. But it is this thing about, like, I'm fighting for kids in a way that, like, will make me unpopular probably. And that's just part of the work, right? right. So, um, you've, so you're talking about your own personal experience being on the inside. Yeah. Of of the structure and fighting against the structure, and it was uncomfortable. Like right. there were days when I was like, "Lord, I might have to go in," and you know, we just <laughs> fighting all day. But it was like that was I was willing to sacrifice my like reputation amongst like how people liked me right. to do what was right for kids. You had a bigger right? purpose, yeah, and like it, and like that's real. People make choices. Yeah. Um, Wolf Blitzer, love that that clip of you going back and forth with regard to the situation in in, in Baltimore and him. Uh, trying to get you to denounce violence. What are your views on when violence does occur in, in protests? And, and, I've not and, seen violence in protests. I, you know, property damage and violence are two different things to me. Right. I've seen a lot of property damage. I've also um, seen, I, I also know of many cases where the police are killing people. And the fact that black people ask, ask the, the fact that black people demand justice and not revenge is deep. It's amazing. So. It, it, it's funny because even Farrakhan was saying, and I'm, you know, I'm not a devout, Farrakhan follow, but Farrakhan has a few answers. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and, and an important point, important point that he was saying was, you know, throughout his years of doing the work, you know, he's denounced things, he's spoken against things, but he's never called for the death of anyone. But you know, over the years, he's received so many death threats, and people's like, we can't wait to see Farrakhan die. Why? Why, why is why why are our messages so different? I think that, you know, white supremacy is more afraid of black unity than black rage. Right. right? Like we've this this America has figured out how to commodify black rage, which is why you see reality TV shows or like black people are fighting and the like the you see that we've like commodified black rage, but black unity is something that like still frightens people. Um and I think that that is like potent and real. I think that that's why people feel threatened by the movement space. Right. Is like people are coming together and you walk outside, you don't know who a protester is, right? We not in a church. We not the, you know, we not the SCLC. It's not universities. It's not churches. It's not Martin. It's not Malcolm. Like anybody is a protester at this right. point. Um, and I think that scares people, which is why they work so hard to discredit the like visible people so that you can try and knock out the whole space. Well, when you sit down with these pundits, man, do you, do you, do you, do you get pissed off? You, you seemed a little annoyed when you were, when you were going back and forth with Wolf. So Wolf shocked me, you right. know, so like the video, you know, I can't, I can't see him. I'm like standing outside. The lights are bright. I'm looking into a camera and there's a three second delay. Right? right. So like, you know, I'm hearing him a little delayed. My response is late and I, and I can't see his body like nothing. Right. So he starts talking and I'm like in disbelief. Like I'm sort of like, what? Just this happened? is Wolf. I'm like, I, I, and I, I don't even know who I couldn't pick him out of a lineup before that interview. Right. But it was like, what is happening? Um, and I normally don't actually challenge people. Like I normally don't do that back and forth that I did with him. But there was this thing about like, it is unacceptable that you like will do this on, on the heels of his death, right? right? That that is actually unacceptable. Right. And I'm here to like explain this space more than I'm here to defend it. But I do want to like help you understand better that broken windows, right? Are not broken spines. So, like those, the windows will be back and Freddie won't is real. Yeah. And particularly my, my personal, what, what I picked up on was I love the way you use the word right to make someone, fa- in a sense, it's like you're making someone sound silly when you, when you, when you question them just with the word, right? Is, is that intentional? 
It's like a teacher. It's actually like um, really bad. We would never let teachers do it. It's called like a check for understanding. And I'd never be like, right? Because you would just normally say yes. And it doesn't really get to your understanding. But it is something we uh, people do in organizing. And it is like a tactic. To, it is a tactic. To get I'm going to I'm 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 pick don't, up on that. Don't start doing that shit to me. Why? Am I wrong, right? Right. Right? <laughs> um, Baltimore. You're from Baltimore. Yeah. And now your city is hot. Um, Freddie City's Gray. always been hot. City's always been hot. Growing up, what was your interaction with? Had, had you seen like injustice personally growing up in, in in Baltimore? Yeah, you know, um, we couldn't we couldn't like go outside and stuff like that. When I moved back to, so I went to college in Maine. I went to Bowdoin, taught in New York. Then I went back to Baltimore, opened up an academic enrichment center for middle grade, so like an after school, after school center for fifth through eighth graders. Um, and one day, somebody had left a kid's IP on the um, on the cafeteria table and in the middle of the night I remember it and was like this is gonna be bad the principal at that time did not like me so I like got in the car like I knew that um I knew the custodian would open the school at six I get in the car it's like 5 30 I'm like zooming to go to school um and I see this officer behind me and before he can even like pull me over I know I'm speeding right, right. and I'm in like the wealthiest zip code in Baltimore at this mm-hmm. point like is the neighborhood I'm I'm driving through he comes up behind me and I know he's gonna pull me over so I just pull over myself mm-hmm. he don't even put the lights on I just pull over Give me the ticket, cool. I'm more, way more afraid of the principal than I am of the, like, just give me the ticket. Mm-hmm. So pulls over, and then I'm looking for my wallet, because, like, you know, I just was running out of the house real quick, sure. like, whatever. He um, comes into my car yelling, right? Like, gun drawn, and, like, he's on 10. And he gets to the thing, and I'm just like, you know, it's okay. That's what I say. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. Stop yelling. It's okay. And eventually, like, I don't get a warning, don't get a ticket, and he's, like, trying to be my friend at the end, and you're right. like, you're crazy, right? Like, you almost shot me. Like, right. that's wild. It, it, oh, that's that's crazy. It's so amazing he says that because I was having a conversation with a couple of my friends and uh, we were speaking about when you get pulled over, what is the best tactics to take? Because the whole point should be to get home. You know, like people don't want to defuse. You know, like you don't want to, you know, you, you want to get home to your family and your friends. You, you don't want to fucking have this officer do anything wrong. And especially, you know, if you're a black person, because, you know, you know that that's how it's coming out and how these officers are coming and they already, you know, that guns drawn. Yeah. So 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 we're talking, uh, me and my brother-in-law, and trying to figure that out. So a lot of people say that what they do is they tell the officer what they're doing all the time. You know, meaning like, officer, I'm going to go in my, my, you know, my glove compartment and get my registration. Officer, I'm going to go, you know, in my pocket and get my license for you. So e- even if, I'm not saying like a tactic to make them feel uncomfortable. But, you know what I heard from one of our friends that works higher up in, okay. in, 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 in you know, the authorities? He, when he gets stopped, we have a friend of ours that, that's, yeah, up there, and as a black man, when he gets stopped, turns on the light in his car and puts his hand on the on a on a on the dashboard, mm-hmm. and he just waits for them to tell him what to do. And, and that's, it, that is wild. Yeah. Like that's not a, that's not what America should be. And, but and this is somebody who works in security. And wild, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm all about like call nine one one, ask for another officer to come. Yeah, like yeah. tell officer you just like will not roll down the window. Right. So there's know? not there's no one way to to, to or live this. stream it. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, live stream. Do, like, do you believe any, what I was saying? Do you believe that that should be the purpose to get home? You know, or? I mean, of course. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think the the reality too is that the police, especially with people of color, are like more interested in uh, escalation and control than they are in de escalation and safety, right? And like people, we develop these strategies to deal with like the wild system. I'm more interested in changing the system so that people don't have to negotiate those things, right? That like. Say you are, like, a little agitated because, like, you were trying to go somewhere that you can be agitated and, like, somebody whose whole job, this is, like, all you're supposed to, right? This is your job. This isn't, like, a hobby. You didn't, like, 
you aren't like being a cop for like two hours today and I need to like, you know, just make it work for you because, no, this is like your job. You should be better than that. Yeah. You know, um, one thing I'm surprised about is how the international community, uh, there's no outrage against America, it seems, from the international security, uh, the international community. Whereas if it was something else going on someplace else, we'd, bu- we'd be up in there. What do you think about that? Like the human, the U- United Nations and there's, there's no pressure, it seems. Yeah, because, I mean, everybody else is a problem too, right? Like, right. Who's going to check us in terms of, like... Yeah, who's going to check us? Well, I don't, not not anybody. I think we will check us, right? right? Um, because, you know, other places of our size aren't necessarily... Don't have, like, the same sort of freedoms right. and the problems. So, like, I get it. Um, and, like, black people in America, like, function differently than than black people in most other spaces, though we are part of a diaspora, right? Like the like blackness everywhere is sort of under siege by um by white supremacy. But I am interested in like the power that people here have to like change the system and right. like what it means to like you know, we were we've been strategically and intentionally disempowered from organizing. Mm-hmm. Like we weren't taught to read for a reason. It wasn't like there weren't enough books, right? Like it was the, there were reasons. Yes. Um and now we like are in this place where we can like organize and do all that stuff with such wild access to technology and information that I like am more hopeful than I've ever been. You said something on Fan Bros that I really like. The complexity of blackness should not exist only in cameos. And you're talking about entertainment. Let's talk about that because I, I really appreciate that comment. Yeah, the, blackness has never been allowed to be complex, right? Like there's a the monolithic blackness. It's these tropes of like the welfare mom, the thug, like the... the um, it's the why, magical like, Negro. The... Yeah, the exception. Whereas whiteness is always complex, right? Like whiteness is always functioning on like many levels. Rachel is a perfect example of like functioning on all these levels, like at all times. Um, and in the media, you know, like we have to be really conscious of like not only the people who control the media of, of like inviting and creating these complex images, but we as black people have to be like welcoming to complexity too, right? That, like, people's identity shows up differently, queer, trans, like, that, like, people's identity is important and we have to allow it to be complex. Right, right. Um, And, like, that's important, too. That, like, that's real. You know, black people aren't a monolithic people and DeRay McKesson is not a monolithic person. What do you, what do, you do when you unwind, man? Like, what, what are you into? Like, what movies? What, what are you listening to music-wise? Yeah, it used to be, so I haven't read um, a lot recently, but I own about 600 books. Yes. I'm a big book, like I love books. Physical uh, copies. Yes. Okay. And you travel with a lot of books. I travel with some books, okay. not a lot now, because I like, kinda travel heavy. so yeah. much. Yep. I just read Ta-Nehisi Coates' um, his new book coming out. You've, oh, you got an, you got an advanced, advanced copy? And it's amazing. Yo, like, is it? Is it? It is. It's what, very, what's, what's the title? Uh, I don't remember. Do you know Ta-Nehisi? I know him through Twitter, and I met right. him a couple times. Amazing, amazing right. mind. Yeah. yeah. The book is great. The book is also like, by far his most incisive critique. It'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see how it's received by non-black people. Right. Um, he writes from a decidedly black space, which is really powerful. But I love like young adult literature because I was a middle school teacher. So right. like that, that like whole genre is, I, how it functions in the space of literary text is really important to me. Um, you go to movies? I do go to some movies. I just saw Melissa McCarthy's Spy. How, how was it, man? It was hilarious. Really? And I don't even think like, I don't think comedy things are funny. Like I, yeah, I I'm, yeah, I, I'm hilarious, not, hilarious. Now people you, should see it. You, 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 you admitted to you know crying, you know when you 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 openly cry when you read books that move you. What's the last movie? Not that I said that. What's what's the last movie that you saw that made you cry? Mm, I don't know. 
Movies are hard. Movies are hard. Books, I'm all about it. There okay. are books that I will never ever forget. I carry those characters around with me all the time. Like Tiger Lily is this really incredible re. Um, you should read it. It's like this retelling of Peter Pan. Right. Tiger Lily. Do you know Tiger Lily? Do you know? I, I heard you talk about it. So please oh. let's act like I yeah, didn't hear Tiger you. Yeah, Tiger Lily is the um, Tiger Lily is the first person. Tiger Lily like fell in love with Peter Pan mm. before Wendy, and it's the book of. Um, it's a story Peter Pan told from Tiger Lily's perspective. Phenomenal, amazing, beautiful text. Um, and then the guy who wrote—I probably said this—the guy who wrote um, *The Kite Runner*, yes. uh, Hassani, mm-hmm. he wrote um, *And the Mountains Echoed*, which is like this phenomenal. If any of you have uh, siblings, it's like this phenomenal meditation on like siblings and like sibling love, like the love between siblings. It was like a beautiful, powerful cry in my car at the end. I'll never forget them. Like <laughs> they are important to me in my life. Um, so books like that, like, are really powerful to me. Another thing I liked is you said if you had a superpower. It'd be a combination between storms, weather, love storm. power, and, and, and Professor X, uh, power to read minds. You'd like to read minds. I would. You, I like always want to know, right? right? I just like want to understand. You need a lot of aspirin if you're going to read minds. You don't think? Because right, people, yes. Yo, Pete, what would your superpower be, man? Well, before I tell him what my superpower, I want you to tell him, and I tell this to anybody we bring this up, because Combat one time said something on the fan bros that we keep on uh, bringing up the fan bros. Uh, oh, my superpower! His, right check, now, check his superpower. I mean, I used to want to be able to fly and be invulnerable. My superpower right now is I would love to be able to change somebody's race. Really? Yeah, just like you. That's interesting. You right now, you you're going to be black. That you, would be you're going to be so black right now. Superpower. Yeah, and just just boom, like you know what? Hold that for the next fifteen years. We'll get back to you. fifteen <laughs> years. I mean, you know, you know, I love it. It's you, not you, even you, like a couple days. You're you like, got to live. Years. You got to live that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I love it. You got to live that, man. Um, that's a, I've never heard that. Before. Yeah, that 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 that, that, that that's my superpower. What about you, Pete? Um, I don't know. You know, you're, you're coming from a segue where he's speaking about being touched, paused, uh, by books right. and crying and stuff like that. So I don't want to get, cause sometimes I get real, you know, my superpowers would be, uh, really to change the world and really change things. Um, I don't know, you know, pick a power, man. If I had one power, I guess it would, or two. It, Combine them. I, I mean, I guess it would be to cure cancer, man. You'd be like medical. You'd be like a healer. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I'll save another episode to get more funny or something. But I want to be serious. I, I like. Do you want to tell, like? Would you personally want to like be the person who like healed people, or you want to like discover the cure? I want to be one of the people who discovered the cure. So you could own the patent and get paid. Absolutely. Yeah, they- well, it's not only about it's not about patent. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just, it's just about really saving people, man. Doing you know what you're doing is something you know I think is really powerful. Uh, something that many people aren't doing, don't have the time, the, the courage. Don't have the courage. Yeah. To do that. And, and, and so, you know, I would love to be involved in something like that. Like, I've, I, like there's so many lanes of doing that, and, and you're doing it. So, you know, I'll tell you this, DeRay, and, and, and this, this is one of my last questions for you. Um, I find that in the, in the work that I'm doing right now, you know, because I've had a other line of, another line of work, and in my other line of work, I always felt that it was pushing, like it was an effort. It was I was pushing what I had to do on a daily basis, whereas now I feel like I'm being pulled and it's 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 work. It's 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 not easy. It's hard, but I'm being pulled. So it's less difficult. Do you find that that's the situation with you? Are you being pulled into this or is it a push thing? Yeah, I do think, um, you know, I never I never understood what it meant to be covered before until this. Right. Like I feel covered. Like I feel like I'm in my in my zone, what I should be doing. I also know that, like, protest is disruption, protest is confrontation, protest is the end of silence, and there are many ways to protest, right? I believe that what is 
what will always be powerful is like people in the streets. That that is like a form of power that is that is unparalleled. I'm in many ways. I also know that like there are many ways for people to disrupt and confront. And like you guys do it here with like helping people think about the world differently. That that is a form of confrontation, right? Like taking the way people think about the world today and challenging that. Right. And like there are many ways for people to protest. We we all have a role to play. And like I'm I'm interested in how like we continue to like grow that idea. When this episode comes out, sir, it's going to be a couple of weeks from now. But I got to ask you, because we're in the heat of it right now, the Cavs are Golden State. I want to do whatever is going to make sure that Riley Curry comes to the press conference. There you go. Golden State. I'm, I'm, you know, not, I'm rocking know, with Golden ESPN State ESPN right put out something today yeah. that said, even if the Golden State wins the finals, that LeBron should get the MVP. I get that. That is something I don't, you know, doesn't happen. I don't. I, I mean, we have to look at their books, but where the losing team, a person on there, wins the MVP of the finals. I mean, he played really well yesterday. I mean, LeBron is, is, is carrying is, 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 them. He's, he's putting out a, he's giving us a Herculean effort, and he's showing us how superior he is as an athlete. I mean, but Curry is like a phenomenal. Yeah. Athlete. Yes. And I mean, it's his when time. he's when he's hot. When he's hot. When he's hot. So we'll, we'll we'll see, and I, I'm I'm rocking with. How about you, man? I want I want LeBron to win. You want the, okay? I, and the reason why I say I want LeBron to win is because uh, I know some people feel salty, and even the owner of Cleveland that he came back or whatever. But I do believe that uh, you know he he came to where he wants to be, and you know if he wins, I feel like this is the time where he's turning into the greatest player right now. Dore, what do you listen to music wise? Uh, R and B. I listen to I can listen to most things except for like heavy metal. Right. House, country, like kill your dog, or, eat your uh, right, cat. Like, so shit, specifically, yeah, what are you listening to? What's what's on your <laughs> playlist? Oh, I'm listening to uh, Coffee by okay. Miguel. Okay, and then uh, what's her name? Uh, Alessandra Cara. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, here? No. she sings here. Okay, it's a great uh, song. I'm, I'm not up on Alessandra. Uh, no, Alicia Cara. Alicia here. Cara. Okay, yes, those two. Where, where? How can people help you? Where can they find you? How can they support you? Um, my Twitter is at Deray. So D E R A Y. And that is like probably the best way to get in touch with me. My DMs are open, so like I can, you know, somebody during this show, somebody tweeted me about some racial discrimination that's happening at his school and like dealing with his father. He wants some help, so so that's like the best way to get in touch with me. Um, one of the forty-eight laws of power is, and I, I really love that book. One of the laws is to not appear perfect. Do you find that a challenge? Like you doing all this work and people coming at you like you have magical powers. And I've seen you. I've seen your influence work. Is that an issue? Like, you know, like, dude, I'm just a, I'm a human being. Don't. Yeah, have I'm imperfect. I, I'm imperfect. Right. Um, and I know people have expectations and I try to uh, live up to my own expectations of like my commitment to the space. And that's real. Right. Um, and I know that in the public imagination, like we all all the protesters like function differently and, and stuff like that. Um you know, I'm like humbled every time anybody invites me to speak somewhere. I never thought that we'd be here in, in you know, in August. I never thought that this in would, the New I'd York so Times. Much, mm-hmm. That's so a nice piece on you in the New York Times, man. I've not yet read it. You haven't read it? No, I need to. You know, I need to manage my own ego. Right, right, right. So right, I have right like right. A, one of my best friends, like he'll read it, and then we talk about it about like the things that would go to bed. The shot with you and Netta. That's such a key. That's an amazing shot. Oh, it's that, an it's an iconic movie, shot. Yeah. I, I love that man. I appreciate it. Yeah. No, so so yeah. I, uh, you got to read it. You know why I say that? I only say this because you don't want to believe your own hype, but at the same time you want to admire those the, the moments in your journey, and this is your journey, and and you know it's powerful. 
I mean, I'll read it when we win. Right? Okay. Like, that'll yeah. be my. It, it, well, the funniest thing about the New York Times thing is that I, I learn about it as people. So I was with somebody the other day. And he was like, I'll order salmon. And I was like, how do you not like salmon? And I was like, it's funny because I was just going to ask. You always order salmon. I do. I always order salmon. I was just going to ask you on your road, you know, moving all around town. What's the best salmon? No, no, that was the best salmon. What are you eating, man? Like, what's the best meals you're eating? Mm, where's where's the best food? <laughs> where's like the best food? Salmon. I ate a lot of McDonald's chicken nuggets. Okay, McDonald's okay. menu. Just because it's like you know consistent, right? right? I know what I'm gonna get. I don't have to like people are like let's go eat, and then it's like awful, and you're like this ain't it. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't. I don't eat. I. I. In that way, I don't think I take care of myself well. Like I don't eat three meals a day. I like don't take I care of yourself, man. Some days I'd rather sleep than eat breakfast, right. right? So I'm trying to like do better that way. But salmon, if I could order salmon every meal, I love it. It's great. Most humbling, amazing experience you had on this journey. On this short, it's been such a short journey, man. It was really cool to, um, to, to like hear Ta-Nehisi Coates, right? And like to, and to get the book advanced, like that was really, that's an that, honor. That meant something to me. Cause I, 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 I try to get in his face as much as I can. And I, he doesn't see me. I'm like, come on, nah, Tahisi. He sees you. I'm champ. I love you, you're man. You know what I mean? He's like, I love you, man. <laughs> and then meeting, uh, I spent like a, me and that, I spent like a morning with um, Diane Nash. Right. And like, that was just really powerful because she, it was like, she understood the role she played and how like this moment was different, which doesn't in any way take away from like the civil rights movement and she her advice was just great like she was she was she was just such a model right um, a model in the space in a way that was just like really cool and that whole you know we were there with we were in selma with bernard lafayette who was on the key organizers of the kids in selma the guy who wrote the uh, freedom riders book and then her and like just like the like the information they share you're like i never thought i'd be here right, right. that this is like what my the passing of the torch torch in a sense or like just the the lineage that you're, you're you're following, just like a continuation of the right, struggle, right? right? The struggle, like we didn't we we didn't like discover injustice and mm-hmm. we didn't create resistance, right? right? Like that mm-hmm. that is real, um, but just to be in the presence of people who like fought the same fight differently was just really powerful. But to see the way they talked about it, the way they conducted themselves, like and how was, they talked about you, and how they talked about the work they were right, doing, right? Amazing. Listen, sir, continue with your work, man. Stay safe. I will do whatever it is you know I, I can to continue to support you. Um, such an honor, man. Thank you. And you know it'll take all of us to win. Definitely, definitely, Pete. Great episode. You know, um, what I really like about it is is this guy's still teaching. You know, you left teaching, but you're still teaching because you know you're letting people know about you know the world and what it, what it should be. You know, not what it's really portrayed right now. So I appreciate that. Not not just as a, as a person of color or a person or it's white, you know, even though I'm Italian, I like to say that I grew up different, but I appreciate it because I learn something new every time. And I think that's what people need to do that, you know, especially when you're talking about if you're not black, learn more. So you understand more. And and I appreciate you for doing that. I appreciate this. This was a, um, you know, this was such a safe space um, for this conversation to happen. And I appreciate both. of you. Thank you. Thank you. Internets. Dream those dreams and man up, women up, and live those dreams. Because a life without dreams is black and white. And the universe flows in technicolor and surround sound. Blow. Chichi. Numenati! You want me You want me bust a rhyme about you, King? Turn oh, my snare up. Shit. King-a-ling-a-ling?
He'll put that ding and ling and ling on you. Whoa, 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 whoa. King and linger, put the ding and linger on the girls. My name is King. No, I don't sing, but I will put my ding and ling on your. Okay, I don't know. I'm not really into that, really rapping. But internets, introducing the one and only. Yeah. A King. Yo, this weekly drop is featuring Kane Mayfield, Subprime slash Jungle. This joint is fire. Listen to the content on this record. Hashtag the weekly drop. Hashtag the Combat Jack Show. Hashtag raise the bar. All stick up kids, everybody with their hand in the air is a victim. The prisoners in there understand, you know, the most of them are most of them hit to what you're talking about. I think a lot of them are not motivated. Uh, I think uh, a lot of them just don't know, really. They know some kind of way, but they're not able to articulate how it's really the power structure. You know, the avaricious, greedy businessmen and the demagogic power, they're not here. How do you know this? Because information is free. And that's the scam, they fool you Cause nothing worse shit is ever handed to you Take water, or foul They put it in a safe with security guards Screaming, get out Pure water free, niggas pour it on the ground It's worthless 
you give a nigga potent, you give him a little bread, then a nigga won't mo. Hit him with a whip, you tell him get a whip, you tell him get a grip on a fucking fofo. Niggas ain't shit to the nigga, kill niggas, and I'm going real fast, I'ma say it once more. Say niggas ain't shit to the nigga, kill niggas, you give a nigga free, then you give a nigga po. Give him a little bread, and then nigga won't mo. You hit him with a whip, tell him get a whip, tell him get a grip on a fucking fofo. The niggas ain't shit, so the nigga kill niggas, and I'm going real fast, I'ma say that once more. I said niggas ain't shit. This episode of the Combat Jack Show was produced by Jonathan Menner, executive produced by A. King and Chris Morrow, engineered by Samir Karan, and recorded in the Engine Room Audio Studio in downtown Manhattan. This is an official Loudspeakers Network's production.